0: As the notation on the front cover of the bulletin explains, uh, January the 6th in the uh, liturgical calendar of the church since ancient times, January the 6th is the day of the Feast of Epiphany, the day which commemorates the visit of the Magi. And so for that reason, today, after the Feast of Epiphany, we're focusing on the visit of the Magi. That is the obvious theme of the whole Service thus far, and the reading comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter two, which gives us that account. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles to Matthew two for the reading of God's Holy Word. And let us ask the Lord, whose Spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture, to breathe upon us afresh, to illumine our minds spiritually, and to open our minds and to open our hearts and grant us the grace of faith that we might receive his word and respond rightly to it. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have not left us in darkness, but have come to us in the light of life everlasting in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him all of the promises are fulfilled for the blessing of salvation for peoples of all the earth. And we give you great thanks that you have drawn us unto yourself through him. And we pray now the blessing of your spirit upon us. Grant us, Lord, spiritual wisdom and insight, and grant us that grace whereby we may offer ourselves in true adoration and praise to him who is king of kings, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The word of God, it is written. because they are no more. And now unto Him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by His blood, to Jesus Christ, be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As this passage illustrates, there are two basic responses to Jesus Christ. Love Him or hate Him. Adore him or despise him. Worship him as your king or wage war against him as your enemy. Jesus Christ is not, never has been, a neutral figure who allows anyone the luxury of neutrality about him. This fact certainly became clear at the end of his earthly ministry when he was Crucified, but it is seen today in the fact that his followers today face opposition and suffer persecution around the world and around the world this day. The body of Christ suffers more than in any time in history. But this conflict and division over Jesus Christ was also seen at the very beginning of his earthly life, even in his infancy. Here in the second chapter of Matthew, we see these two basic responses to Jesus. Love him or hate him, adore him or despise him, worship him or seek to kill him. And we might think of these two events. The the wonderful event of the visit of the Magi and the horrible event of Herod's slaughter of the male children, two years old and younger. as as two completely separate events, but as we see from this passage, they really are connected. They really are related to one another. First of all, King Herod found out from the Magi, the wise men, that a star had signaled the birth of the Messiah, to whom they referred as the King of the Jews, the King of Israel. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so even as the wise men sought to find Jesus to worship him, Herod sought to find Jesus in order to kill him. And the fact shows us the deeper in way uh, these two events are connected. Matthew, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to see that the birth of Jesus immediately brought the world into spiritual conflict, a division which would play itself out not only throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, but in fact throughout history until Jesus Christ comes again. The wise men and their response to Jesus' birth, and Herod and his response to Jesus' birth, were, those were real people, those were real events, but they also stand as a, as a kind of symbolic portrayal for everyone in the world throughout history in terms of the response to Jesus. Love him or hate him, adore him or despise him, worship him, wage war against him. It really is the ongoing drama of world history. Humanity is divided between those who will receive and worship the true king and those who will continually wage war against him. So in a... In a way, at a personal level, Matthew is asking each one of us to identify ourselves in the story. Do we rejoice with exceedingly great joy at the news that there is a king, the king, whom we are called to worship and to adore, before whom we are happy, happy to bow down and prostrate ourselves in submission to, to him and open the treasure boxes of our lives for the offering of our most costly gifts to him. Do you, do you personally, worship and adore Jesus Christ as the rightful and true King of your life? Does your heart kneel before him? Your Saviour, whose whose word is your command. Or are you offended? Is it an insult? You fly into a fit of rage at the very idea that anyone has the right and authority to sit. On the throne of your life. In other words. Is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus is the son of God. The savior. The true king. Is that good news? Or is it bad news? Does it move you to adore him? Or to despise him? And to be clear. As we all know, apathetic neglect is just another form of hatred. Well, that's the application at the personal level. But on a larger scale, the scale of world history, the Gospels show us that from the very beginning, the spiritual powers of darkness, the spiritual powers of darkness exercising their influence through wicked men, evil government, Social and cultural forces have opposed the kingdom of God and will continue to rail and rebel against God's kingdom on earth with a hatred that seeks to silence God's word and overthrow his kingdom at every turn. Every every human government and institution which has not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ tends toward this kind of idolatry and demonic lust for power. The conflict is seen not only in Matthew's gospel, but also in Luke's gospel, and in other ways, the gospels of John and Mark. In in Luke's gospel, you remember, um, we see a contrast between two savior kings. Remember Caesar Augustus, the supposed son of God, and Savior of the world who supposedly brought peace on earth. And in contrast, the true Son of God and Savior King, Christ the Lord, born in the city of David in fulfillment of prophecy through whom indeed the God of Israel would bring the peace of his everlasting kingdom. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see the contrast and conflict, again, between two kings. The first is King Herod. Now, Herod was from a family that had been heavily involved in the politics of Judea for some time, even rendering service to Julius Caesar. And the Roman Senate had appointed Herod as the, quote, king of the Jews. So Herod was not really a Jewish king, but he was a puppet king set up by Rome over the Jews in Judea. And Herod the Great was a madman. a murderer, a ruthless ruler. Uh, uh, He was maniacal. He not only ordered the slaughter of infant males around Bethlehem, he also ordered the executions of his wife and his own sons to protect his position of power. So there's one king of the Jews, Herod the Great, And the other king of the Jews is a true Jew, in fact. Matthew begins his gospel, chapter 1, by telling us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew contrasts the supposed king of the Jews, Herod the Great, with the true king of the Jews, Jesus. And the point here is this. When we read Matthew and Luke as they wrote it, In their historical context, we realize that the birth of Jesus immediately incited spiritual warfare. This is about power encounter. This is about conflict and confrontation of the powers and principalities. At stake in the birth of Jesus are these questions. Who really rules the world? Who really reigns over God's people? Who is the true king? Good questions for us to ask of ourselves, about ourselves, in relation to Jesus Christ. It's a question very relevant to our lives today. When we read the accounts of Luke and Matthew, we see the assurance of the sovereignty of God over all world affairs, over all rulers. As they present the accounts of Jesus' birth and the events afterwards, the gospels of Matthew and Luke call us to place our faith in the true living God who sovereignly rules the world and moves through history with his purpose of redeeming the world over and above all the dark powers. Luke tells us, for example, that God revealed his sovereignty over world history as he ruled in and through and over the decree of Caesar Augustus so that Caesar's exercise of imperial power actually brought about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Of course, Caesar Augustus had no clue about that. But Matthew tells us that God revealed his sovereign rule over nature, causing the alignment of planets or a supernova to appear so that the astrologers in the East would see the sign of the birth of the king of the Jews. The point in both cases is to show that in and through Jesus, God was and is exercising his sovereign power in the world, over the world, to accomplish his saving purposes for the world. Christmas is about the coming of the true king whose kingdom shall have no end. And Psalm 2 says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. And this is, it is this promise of the gospel which we see being fulfilled with the visit of the magi, the wise men. In the midst of the darkness, the hatred, the rebellion against God, and the rejection of Jesus by Herod, we see the power of the gospel drawing the wise men to bow down and worship Jesus Christ. Now, what Matthew wants us to see is simply this, the world coming to Jesus Christ to worship him, to fall down before him in submission and adoration. You see, these wise men astrologers were not Israelites. They were not Jews. They were not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were not children of the covenant. They were pagans from a far away land. Very far away. Further to the east, Persia, modern-day Iran, northern Iraq. Far away, but not only geographically, but far away spiritually. But... These pagan wise men, soothsayers, knew a prophecy, evidently, recorded in the book of Numbers. The Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 24, given by Balaam, a Gentile, a pagan soothsayer, who spoke prophetically of the Savior King of Israel. Now, this was way back in the time of Moses. Moses. And this pagan prophet spoke the word of God. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Numbers chapter 24. This prophecy had been spoken, as I said, during the time of Moses, when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after the Exodus, more than 1,200 years before the birth of Jesus. But the prophecy had been preserved, even among Gentile, pagan Non-Jewish astrologers of Mesopotamia. By the light of that star and the inward spiritual illumination of the Holy Spirit, they were led to Jesus Christ and they fell down before Him and worshipped Him. And Matthew wants us to see that even there in Bethlehem when Jesus was just a baby boy, even then He was drawing all men to Himself. That is, people from every tribe and tongue and nation Let's put it this way. Those pagan Gentile Magi represent us here in Monroe, Louisiana. The world coming to Jesus Christ by faith. The visit of the Magi was a fulfillment of prophecy. We read from the opening sentences from Isaiah chapter 60. Nations, meaning non-Jewish peoples, the Gentile peoples, will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Well, the coming of the Magi to worship Jesus was a partial fulfillment. It was the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. And therefore, it was also a prophecy of things to come. That by Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, he would come to be worshipped not only as the Messiah of Israel, but the Savior of the world. It is a prophetic picture of people from all nations bowing down before Jesus Christ. It is a dramatic illustration of John 3.16. For God so loved the... That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... Whosoever. Pagan astrologers. (laughs) Whosoever might not perish but have everlasting life... Through him. And the Magi represent the world, people of every tribe and tongue and nation who receive and believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and look to him for their salvation, bowing down before him. And in this sense, again, the Magi represent you and me, we who would otherwise be very far away from Jesus Christ. but who are brought near to him by the power of his word and the light of his spirit. And so the worship of the Magi, again, was a prophetic foreshadowing of all nations bowing down before Jesus. And in that sense, it is a a prophetic illustration of of Jesus' last command to his apostles on the earth after his resurrection from the dead. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission. That's what we are to be about as as a congregation, continuing to send forth the word of Christ to all people. Christ continues to send us in that work today. And I'm thankful that Covenant Presbyterian Church is is actively engaged with, actively involved in worldwide missions. The visit of the Magi shows us in miniature also what the end will be, how the story will end, the story of history. The nations of the world will bow before him. He will be revealed as King of kings and Lord of lords. Because he humbled himself and made himself obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Even there, even there, as he lay in the cradle, the shadow of the cross lay upon him. The shadow of the world's rage, the shadow of the world's rejection. Herod's fury representing the fury of the demonic forces of the universe. That is what Christ came to suffer, to endure, and to overcome through his death on the cross. And that's been revealed to us. He humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what those Magi were doing. That's what you and I are called to do. And that will be what is revealed at the end of history. And that is the reason that in the book of the Revelation, Jesus is called the ruler of the kings of the earth, king of kings. And Lord of Lords. Love him or hate him. Adore him or despise him. Worship him or wage war against him. But be sure of this, he is the true king because he and only he has conquered death and risen victoriously. Salvation is freely offered to all those who fall down before Him and offer Him the treasures of their lives. He lives and reigns forever. His everlasting kingdom is for those who worship Him and honor Him, take refuge in Him, love Him for who He is and what He has done for them. But it will do no good to speak of Christ as King of all nations if we ourselves have not personally bowed the knee to his kingship. It is the worst of hypocrisy for us to call him king of kings if we ourselves do not continually submit ourselves to his reign over our lives personally and seek to live in obedience to his word as faithful citizens of his kingdom. The magi from the east had come with a purpose And their purpose ought to be our purpose our whole lives long, to worship Jesus, Son of God, Messiah of Israel, Savior of the world, and our King. But true worship is not merely a matter of what we do or say on Sundays with our lips. True worship is the offering of our lives, the costly offering of our lives into the service of the true King. Every day. True worship is the commitment of our loyalty to the true king every day. So here we are on the first Lord's Day of the new year. You have your personal priorities, perhaps resolutions, goals, as you begin the new year with your family, as we begin the new year together as a congregation. So here we go. Let us resolve to follow the example of the wise men to seek Jesus Christ in order to worship him because he's the true king. Let us follow their example and joyfully fall down before Jesus in happy submission to him and open the treasure boxes of our hearts and offer him the precious and costly treasures of our lives. Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, we give you thanks for your word of truth and pray that you will grant us grace to follow Jesus with our hearts full of adoration and gratitude to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I invite you to stand to affirm the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. As we say together, the Philippian Creed taken from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord